you like a chance to interview an angel? Happy Thursday and welcome to Right Start with Jim Custer, teaching pastor of Grace Polaris Church in Columbus, Ohio. Yes, of course, we'd love to sit down with one of God's ministering spirits and just hear whatever he had to say. That would be quite a podcast, wouldn't it? Well, the Apostle John was granted more than one interview with an angel, and if we can avoid a common mistake when we read these dialogues in Revelation, we'll have a much easier time understanding what's happening when. Here's Jim with part one of his sermon, Breaking Down Revelation. Will you join with me, please, in prayer? Our precious Heavenly Father, we open the book that expresses your glory more than any other book in the Bible. We open a book that expresses your plan more clearly than any book in the Bible. We open a book that shows your heart, not as a softy, willy-nilly kind of person, but a God of great character, a God whose love is tempered in justice and righteousness and truth, and a God who will not be patient forever with the arrogance of Satan and his crowd, with the deception of the demons and their mischief, and with the broken and fallenness of rebellious man and his arrogant, stubborn refusal to acknowledge you as his creator and Lord. So it's important, it's important that our hearts be humble before you, that our words be gentle and helpful for each other, and that we find ways to drink deeply at the fountain of this book. Thank you for the things we'll share tonight. May they be helpful in understanding the structure of the book, how it's put together, so that as we seek to understand this message, we do not become bogged down or confused or discouraged in our quest to know your heart, your will, and your plan. So bless us tonight, we pray, in Jesus' precious, precious name, amen. Revelation chapter 1, please. Turn with me. Revelation chapter 1. Verse 9, John introduces himself to us and tells us where he was when all of this came to him. All of this is sent to John by angelic express, we're told. And while there are signs and symbols involved in the narrative, we must remember that God, the infinite eternal one, is trying to talk to us, made of clay. The God who knows everything and has always existed and never learns anything is trying to find ways to express to you and to me realities that he lives with, themes that he put in motion, plans that he has held in his heart since before time began. Now notice verse 9. John is on the Isle of Patmos. Verse 10. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard behind him a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write on a scroll. Write on a scroll what you see and send it. 
Then he tells him the seven churches that are each to receive a copy of what he will write. Now drop down, please. Same chapter, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 19. Therefore write what you have seen, what is, and what will take place after this. You see the three steps? That's John's agenda. Start with what you've seen, John, and that would involve this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ that John saw on the Isle of Patmos. It's very important in reading the book of the Revelation that you know where you are. We'll talk about the geography of this book another night. John is on an island off the coast of Turkey, in our language. He's there being imprisoned because of his witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. He is the last and only living of the 12 apostles at this point in his life. And he is charged to write a letter. The letter is to include what he has seen, which we read in chapter 1, what is, and that's the content of these seven letters, each addressed to a particular local body of believers in the area we call Turkey today. That's what is. And they are, they are steeped in reality. Each one of those seven letters deserves a full study. What it tells us about Jesus, what it tells us about his purpose, what it tells us about his career, what it tells us about the church, what it tells us about the things that are right and wrong, the promises, the problems, and the sign-off. Every church letter is a masterful, masterful communication. So John is to include these seven letters, each one to a specific church, and he is to be sure that each of the seven, or all of the seven, receive all seven letters. Now turn, please, to chapter 4. Notice with me. And verse 1. John writes, after this, after the dictation and the writing down, after this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, now that voice is the voice of Jesus. That's the voice. That's who's talking here. It's the same voice he heard back in chapter 1. That same voice sounds like a trumpet. That's Jesus. John turns. He sees an open door in heaven. And Jesus says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, as you mark in your Bible, this would be a pertinent place to make a sign, a note. The last phrase, after this, is exactly the thing that Jesus told John would be the third topic when he commissioned him to write in chapter 1, verse 19. There Jesus said, John, write about what you saw, write about what is, and write about what will take place after this. In chapter 4, verse 1, having received the vision of Jesus, having written the seven letters, 
John sees a door in heaven, and John is invited to come to heaven. Jesus says, come up here. That's a marvelous picture of the rapture. That's what that is. John is invited to go to heaven where Jesus is. Now, here's the promise. I will show you what must take place after this. That last phrase, what must take place after this, means that it's future. That's what it means. It means after the events that are described and discussed in the church letters, the seven church letters, to the church in seven congregations and them representing all believers on the earth, that, that church on earth has had its commission, has had its message, and Jesus is saying, after this, something else is going to take place. And for John to understand and to comprehend what would take place in the future when the church is no longer on earth, he has to go to heaven. And that's exactly what happens. Now, the difference in the two phrases in chapter 1, Jesus says the things that will take place after this. In this verse, chapter 4, it says the things I will show you what must, what must take place after this. And John says immediately I was in the spirit. And he, in his spirit, not his body, his spirit, he is in heaven. Now, everything else from chapter 4, verse 1, is after this. That's why the best understanding of the book of the Revelation is futuristic. In chapter 4 through chapter 22, you are going to see things, John, that are beyond your lifetime. You're going to see things that will take place after the church has finished its work on earth. Then, John, after the church has finished its work, I'll show you what's going to happen, what must happen after this. So the book of the Revelation, as far as literature is concerned, as far as structure is concerned, is very simple. There are three divisions. First, John's history, his experience on the, the Isle of Patmos. Secondly, the, the dictation of the letters to the 12 churches, which are and still are on the earth. And then thirdly, after that, I'm going to show you what must take place hereafter or after this. And that takes us into the future. So the experiences of chapter 4 through chapter 22 are future. They're not past history. John is not here reciting for us or writing for us things that happened in the past. He's writing about things that will happen in the future when the whole body of Christ experiences what John experienced personally. He is transported to heaven. He sees the throne of God. And from chapter 4 all the way through chapter 22, the future is what's in focus. Now keep that in mind. Because, because when you come to chapter 4 and 5, it takes John two chapters to describe what impresses him about heaven. Two chapters to explain what's happening in heaven. The throne, 
the, the scroll, the angels, the, uh, the 24 elders, the, all of those things, the, the lake of fire, all of those things are the fiery lake. They, all of those things that John saw when he was in heaven, and that narrows down to the hero of our book, and that's the lamb, the one who had been slain. So when you come to chapter 4, verse 1, you're looking at things that must take place. This is, not, this is not the language of possibility. This is the language of sovereign decree. Here's what's going to take place afterwards. After what? After the church has passed through the portals into the very presence of God in heaven. That's what's going to happen. Now, the church in heaven is depicted by the 24 elders. And there are many reasons to, uh, to support that. But the, the, the greatest support is that the elders are involved, intricately involved in the management of this process. And the Lord Jesus told the disciples and those who follow him in the new covenant that we would rule and reign with Christ. And that's what these 24 elders are doing. They are actually close to the throne and they are involved in worship. They are involved in intricately and, and directly uh, unpacking God's plan for the future. So that's the first thing I wanted you to see. The second thing I want you to see tonight is, um, is the structure of the book. Starting in chapter 6, there are seven seals broken. That opens the little scroll. Then, when the seventh seal is broken, seven trumpets are blown by seven angels. Then, seven bowls of wrath are poured out by seven angels. That's the circumference, or that's the chronology. That's the step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, step six. In the book, you do not jump back and forth from the first seal to the third, the third bowl. Now, there's been lots of discussion and lots of debate whether, whether what I just said is true or not, whether the seven seals all are done then the seven trumpets take place, then later the seven bowls of wrath. But that's exactly the way John experienced it. That's why they're called the first seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth seal, and sixth seal, and seventh seal. That's why the same thing is done with the trumpets. And they move in that progression. Some have observed that there's some similarity between the targets of the various judgments of these, of these 21 judgments, that they are targeted at the same area or the same sphere of life on earth. And while that is true, it's also true that if you take those that seem to have the most similarity, you'll find that the later of the two any one of the bowls of wrath is infinitely more severe than any one of the trumpets. 
And the trumpets are far more severe than the, the seals. So if you want to read the book of the Revelation chronologically, that's what you do. You start here in chapter 6, and you just, what I did as a kid, as a teenager, I went through in my Bible, and I circled first, I circled second, I, circled, I went through and I identified the verse where each of the seals were broken. Then I looked for the trumpets, and I circled when the first trumpet was blown and did each of them to the seven. Then I went back and found the passage about the wrath, the wrath of the bowls, and I circled first bowl, second bowl, third, all the way down to seven. So those 21 events give pace, they give definition, they give chronology to the book. Got that? Now, there's a problem. And this problem maybe causes more problems for people trying to understand the book of the Revelation than anything else in the book. Let's attack the problem by going all the way to the end of the book. Okay? Turn over to chapter 21. Chapter 21. Now, some have called these interruptions. I want to call them interviews. Interviews. In chapter 21, now watch, the revelation is completed. The book of the Revelation is completed at verse 8, chapter 21, verse 8. Look what happens in chapter 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. From that verse all the way through the rest of chapter 21 and almost all of chapter 22, John has this personal tour, this personal interview, this personal up-close investigation and discovery about details concerning the new Jerusalem who is identified as the wife of the Lamb. Its height, its substance, its measurements, the lifestyle that goes on there, characteristics about it, are minutely added. What John is given by this angelic visit from one of the seven who poured out the bowls is a detailed interview, a detailed investigation to discover the particular properties, the particular aspects, the particular details about this new Jerusalem, this holy, this whole new heaven and earth. That's what it's all about. Now notice how it ends in verse, uh, verse 8 of chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 8. I, John, the one who heard and saw these things, when I heard and saw them, fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had showed them to me. Now watch. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow slave with you, your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he also said, don't seal the prophetic words. And he goes all the way down through the end of verse 11. 
Now, do me a favor. Take a pencil and bracket. Take a pencil and mark chapter 21, verse 9. 21, verse 9, all the way down through 22, verse 11. Just do me a favor and do that. Now, what we're calling that is an interview or an up-close, personal, expanded investigation of something that already had been introduced in the text of the book of the Revelation. Got it? Now, come back with me, please, to chapter 17. Chapter 17. And here we're going to have another investigation. We're going to have another special interruption of the flow of the text, interruption of the chronology, in order for John to get an up-close personal understanding, a tour, if you please, of certain things that have already been mentioned in the text. But John gets a closer investigation. Look at chapter 17, verse 1, and mark it. You're going to bracket this too. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, that sounds familiar. Both of these angelic hosts had participated in the pouring out of the seven great bowls of wrath. That's described in chapter 16. Both of them. Now, these are special angels, as you find out in chapter 15, but you'll find that on your own. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, here we go. I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who sets so many waters. Kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, on and on and on and on and on and on. Look at verse 4. The woman who's sitting on this beast was dressed in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones. She had a gold cup in her hand filled with everything vile and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead, a cryptic name was written, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the vile things of the earth. Verse 6, I saw that the woman was drunk on the blood of the saints and on the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her, I was utterly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? And he goes on then to explain who she is, where she comes from, what part does she play in this incredible drama of the victory of Jesus Christ. Some of the book of Revelation is chronological and some of it isn't. That's a challenge to many readers who are looking for a quick and easy sequence of end time events. In his current message, Jim is giving us a key for separating out the interviews, as he calls them, from the divine timeline. The sermon is called Breaking Down Revelation. We'll be happy to send the talk to you on CD for a gift of $7 or more. There are just nine sermons in the collection with John on the Isle of Patmos, and all can be yours for an offering of $34 or more. The richest man in the world is, according to Forbes, Bernard Arnault. He is not yet a contributor to Right Start, an oversight, I'm sure. Our ministry exists thanks to a number of salt-of-the-earth folks who just believe in what we're doing. Thanks to everyone who's giving and praying. We're humbled by the trust you place in us, and we don't take it for granted. If you'd like to join this family of faith, you can mail us at Right Start, P.O. Box 437, Worthington, Ohio, 43085, USA, or call us toll-free at 1-800-984-2313. That's 800-984-2313. 
888-253-2313. There you can play radio programs starting from today's show and working backward in time, or you can play or download the original sermons without edits. And getting the daily podcast can keep you connected and up-to-date automatically. We'll show you how to do that. You can donate online, of course, and you will not be spammed if you do. You're welcome. The place is rightstartradio.org. rightstartradio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm Dan Pope. We'll hear more about Breaking Down Revelation tomorrow. We'd love to have you here. Please join us at the same time for Friday's Right Start.